Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 136. Welcome to Positive Productivity Podcast, where we empower our audience to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success, especially in the face of adversity. Listen in as our guests reveal their stories of challenges and hurdles and how they overcame defeat and became triumphant in their endeavors. Let's get motivated and move forward with your host, Kim Sutton. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. I am so happy you are here to join me, and I am so happy that you are also here to join our guest, Bob Stromberg, the master of creativity and the host of the Wide-Eyed Creative Podcast. Bob, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. From his home in St. Paul, Bob travels continually performing his unique blend of original stories, stand-up, and shtick. Bob, I'm reading that which is yes. obvious, but shtick. I never know if I'm saying that properly. That is the right, that's the right way to say it. I would love for you to share more about you because I'm sure you can say it so much better than me reading it from your bio. Well, I am a comedian and I have done it for 40 years. Um, I My creative expression has uh, found several different mediums. I'm a comic, I'm a playwright. I've, I've written several books, lots of short stories. Uh, and that's, that's what I, that's what I do. Oh, and I've done theater for, um, probably half of my career, uh, doing two different plays that I wrote one with, I co-wrote with a couple buddies and, uh, one that I wrote myself and those plays have run continually now for, oh my goodness, over, over 20 years around the country and around the world. So that's what I do. Uh, and I, I really feel like I'm one of the fortunate few in this profession of writing and performing who have actually been able to do what I love doing and what I really feel that I was created to do. I've been able to do it for 40 full years as a self-employed person. Um, and I think that's a pretty remarkable thing. I began thinking back uh, several years ago, people started saying to me, you know, Bob, you need to, you need to start thinking about passing the baton on to a younger generation. And my, my first thought was, I have a baton. I, I didn't. I didn't realize I had a baton. I don't remember anybody giving me a baton to pass on. Um, no, you need to think about uh, passing it on to the next generation. And I realized, well, I really can't teach lots of the things that I do. Uh, part of my shtick, uh, as you said, part of my shtick is uh, I do hand shadows. Uh, that's become sort of a uh, calling card for me in my in my comedy work. I make shadows on, on a screen, and they're very funny and, and, and pretty amazing uh, shadows. Very difficult to teach. Um, I can't teach people how to move the way that I do or have the kind of facial expressions that I do. It's, it's my face. All, all of what I do is uniquely me. But I kind of began to... Um, uh, reverse engineer what I've been doing for 40 years. And I realized that the, the element that has always been there has been creativity. I've always utilized creativity. And that got me really going deep into trying to figure out, well, what is it, um, creativity that is? What is it? How does it work? And how have I used it? And I... I'm, I'm rambling on here. You just interrupt me if you if you want to. But I, I realize that creativity is, well, there are two words to, 
to use in talking about creativity that really help us to understand what it is and how it works. The first word is gift, and the second word is craft. People often think of creativity as being a gift, and it is in as much as something of creativity is woven right into our genes. We're born with it. We were, but, we're, but we aren't born creative. What we're born with is a capacity and a desire to experience creativity. And we, all, and we start using it really early on. We open up that gift really early as, as, as very small children. Uh, you know, there was a time when um, pe- people say to me, I'm not creative. And I say, well, you, you may not be. I'm, you're probably not if you say you're not. But you used to be. There was a time when uh, you got up on your knees and you rocked back and forth. And that was exciting. And you learned that you could scrunch up your nose in that way and your parents would laugh out loud. And you learned that you could take a crayon and, and, and put it on that white paper and make those those pretty colors. And, and you learned that you could stack up those blocks and then, and then you could knock them over. Um, or as, in, as was the case in my family, you learned that you could take the pink magic marker and you could color in all of the little white flowers on mom and dad's brand new couch. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, was, that was a very exciting moment in our family. By the way, that, that uh, young boy is now a, a remarkable uh, artist now as a grown man. Uh-huh. But, but uh, we began opening up that gift of creativity very, very early on uh, in our life. And, and we loved doing it. We were experiencing creativity through the medium of play. That's what we did. We were playing. All of our play as children was remarkably creative. But then something happened to all of us. Uh, And it happened around, oh, certainly in elementary school, young, younger years to maybe middle elementary school years. We discovered that we had to take those tests. And you had to have the right answer. You had to have the one right word with, that you filled in that multiple choice with, or you had to circle the, the um, I mean, the fill in the blank. I'll say that again, and they can edit that to make it cleaner. You had to have, you had to write the one right word in the fill in the blank, and you or you had to circle the one right answer in the multiple choice, or you had to have the exact right number at the bottom of that math problem. And, and, I mean, right down to the digit, you couldn't even have the, 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 that. <laughs> Let's do that again. No, I totally get it. Uh, yeah, no, you, you, had to have, you had to have the right number at the bottom of that mathematical problem there. And, and you couldn't have one digit off. It had to, they all had to be right. And the problem is creativity it doesn't work that way. And you know this, Kim, as a creative person. It doesn't work that way. Creativity is not about finding the one right answer to anything. It's about looking at many, many, many possible answers and then playfully experimenting to find out which one of those might work best. And sometimes it's a matter of putting those those answers together to find the best way to do something. So we well, discover... I, I just had to share. I... In my family, I am the one out of the four who went to art school. Yeah. And I was the one who was decorating mom's accounting textbooks when she was going back for her MBA. That was me. Yeah. But 
what you have said, like, I'm so, I'm thinking about the parallels that I've seen, especially when you said that some people say they're not creative. I've seen entrepreneurs in my community saying, you know, I don't have a product. What do I sell? You know, I'm not creative. How can I make something? Well, just by composing an email you're creating or just by cooking your dinner, even if it comes out of a box, you're creating because you can create it differently if you burn it, which is that's right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, that's right. Um, So creativity, Kim, is it's um, it is a gift in that we're born with the desire to experience it it and the ability to experience it but it's much more helpful to think of creativity as being a craft or rather a skill or a process that we can practice and get better and better and better at but to do that of course we have to understand well what what are you going to practice how do you practice creativity well like any other skill you practice the fundamentals of of that skill. And in this case, um, I've identified three fundamentals in creativity, which are really helpful to the very people that you were talking about who go, I, I don't know how to do this. I'm not, I'm not creative. They are, and I've put this in an acronym, G-I-T. I say, this is how you can get your masters of creativity. G is you grab anything that grabs you emotionally. So as you're going through your day, if you see something that moves you in any way, uh, if, if it tickles you a little bit or that makes you smile or it makes you angry or you hear something that uh, makes you concerned or, or worried about something, that's, that is an emotional response. You grab it. You write it down. It's not an idea. Um, you find yourself going, well, why am I even writing this down? The only re- reason you're writing it down is because it, it touched you emotionally. And neuroscientists tell us that every thought that we have has an emotional component. But the truth is that we've, we are, we're dead to it because we're, we, we aren't experiencing creativity in our own lives. That's part of our emotional life that has, has gotten dumbed down or numbed down so we don't feel it. So you write down this thought or this experience, or maybe it's a memory you write it down just enough to uh, remember it. I don't actually write it down. I speak it in my phone on my little note thing on my iPhone. Um, and I, you get this long list in a very short time of things. They don't, they're not ideas. They don't seem to mean anything. But then you take the step, second step. You practice that. You interrogate what you have grabbed. An interrogator does what an interrogator does in order to find the truth. So you say, why did you move me? Why do I keep thinking about you? Why did I? Why did that memory come from way, way back there when I hadn't thought about it in years? How could I use you? Could you be a character in this book I'm writing? Could you be an illustration in this talk that I'm preparing? Could I paint you? Could you be a part of the choreography in this piece I'm doing? Whatever, whatever it is, how could I use you? Then every creative knows this moment. It's the, uh, we describe it as the aha moment. The aha moment actually is the moment that that thought or memory or experience that you've grabbed becomes an idea. And, and you, the thought, the feeling is, 
oh, <laughs> there it is. I know what I can do with that. I can do this. And once you understand what this is, whether it's a painting or a character or a book or a play or a song or a lyric or one line here or there, whatever it is you're working on, once you understand what that it is, then you can transform it, T, you can transform it into whatever it's supposed to be. So that you grab, that's G, interrogate I, T. You grab what grabs you emotionally. You interrogate it. That interrogation process, by the way, it might be only seconds or minutes or days or weeks or months or years. I actually have had, I actually had something on my, in my grab file for 20 years before I knew what it was. And when I did, it became this huge thing in my act that I've been doing now for, I've probably done it a thousand times, an eight minute story that I tell. And it's just, a, it's a gem. So you grab, you interrogate. Once you know what the truth is, once you have that aha moment, when that thought becomes an idea, then you transform it into what it should be. That's the creative process. Lots of people, yeah, lots of people don't, lots of creative people are creative without knowing what that process is because they're, but they're still doing it, except they're doing it just intuitively. Um, they don't understand it. They're just doing it because it comes natural to them. Of course, the problem is that uh, you can then run into a wall and where you can't create anything and you don't know why. I heard uh, Sting talking in a TED Talk about how he uh, couldn't, he, he couldn't write for eight years. He didn't write. He didn't write one song for eight years. And this is a guy who's won seventeen Grammys and been nominated thirty-seven times, and one of the most popular musical artists and songwriters of of the last hundred years. And he couldn't write a song for eight years. He said, uh, the way he phrased it is, he said, "The muse went away. My muse went away." And I heard that, and I thought to myself, Sting. There's no, there's no muse. Um, it, it, it's, it's not a muse. It's a process. And if you understand the process, and it, if you had understood the process, thing, if you had been grabbing continually because it's become a habit for you, um, you wouldn't run up against a wall and not know what to write about because it would be right that you'd have ideas just shouting at you. You know, transform me next. I want to be next. I want to be next. I want to be next. That's what this process and this habit that we created for in creativity does for us. We we never run into a wall where we're dry. It's always the reservoir is always full. Bobby, it's pretty exciting. What if, I am not a, a debating type of person. However, I do have to ask you what about people who are trying to force creativity do you think or do you think that's even possible and the reason why I ask is I read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert and she was talking about how she had gotten an idea about a book but she let it sit because she wasn't getting inspired to write it mm -hmm. and she finally decided to let it go so I guess she would be missing the T right mm -hmm. out of your equation and when she was later speaking with a friend, her friend had gotten the same inspiration and had actually mm -hmm. developed the story, which I think went on and won awards or became a bestseller. <laughs> of course. But, you know, I've been at the point 
as have so many other entrepreneurs where we're grasping and we're grasping and, you know, we might get that little glimmer. I'm going to morph some of your get equation into other words mm-hmm. here where we get the glimmer and we're inspired. Well, listen to me. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to create your get into something else, but you know, we don't necessarily take it to where it needs to go or we try to take it too fast. Is or maybe I'm just looking at it wrong. Well, now you've created glimmer, inspiration, and take. (laughs) Okay, so as an entrepreneur, I have many times, well, I went through a whole period where I was chasing income rather than impact. So I was always watching what other people were doing. And I ended up using my creative to actually not try to build my own products that really resonated with me, but to follow in the footsteps of other people who I had been, who I had seen be successful. Right. Mm-hmm. So what I ended up with was a totally unpassionate, uninspired piece of work that I just really couldn't do anything with. But after I turned that around and I started following impact instead or chasing impact and really trying to make an impact with my work, then it was like, that was my aha moment. So maybe that is my creativity. Well, I also wonder if, if when you started following impact, I'm guessing the, the emotional excitement that you were feeling about all of that was much higher than it was when you were uh, when you were following in somebody else's footsteps. Oh, it absolutely was. Have you seen yeah. the Disney movie Ratatouille? Yes, I have. So when he's introducing his brother to how different foods taste when when he puts them in the mouth, and I think he gives him like a berry and a piece of cheese, and he starts seeing the colors in his head, that's what it was like. That was my mm-hmm. alcohol, you know, mm-hmm. and, and all the pieces of my own creativity puzzle came together. Coincidentally, I, I can't even imagine how you said you had your little nugget in your in your reservoir for 20 years. I had an, a little glimmer of a product I wanted to create six months ago, and I had my graphic designer create a logo for it. But it was only a month ago that all those little pieces came together. But, I mean, that's six months, not 20 years. Yeah, mine was 20 years, and, and I knew that I had a a wonderful story, and it was something that had actually happened to me as a small boy. I knew it was a wonderful story. I could not figure out how I could use it or what it would mean or what the purpose of the story would be other than to tell the story. There didn't seem to be – there was no – there wasn't the kind of application that I wanted to feel and that I wanted others to make the jump to in their own minds. And it, it just wasn't there until, and this is the way that the process works. As long as you're continuing to go back to that, that grab list and interrogate those things, they're working inside the mind somehow. They're, they're trying to make the connection all the time, even though you're not thinking about them there's stuff going on. It's, it's non-conscious thought. 
Um, as you know, our, our brains can be thinking about all kinds of things at, at, the, at the very same time. We can't be aware of everything that's going on in our minds, but there's non-conscious thought happening all of the time. And something happened in my life when I went, there it is. I, oh my goodness, I know what I can do with that story. And then I wrote the story, created the application that fit with it, and it's just been a, it's been a gem for me. But that's the process of grabbing and interrogating something and then transforming into what it should be. And you were grabbing things when you were grabbing, uh, when you were going after income instead of impact, you were grabbing, you just weren't grabbing stuff that really did emotionally grab you. You were grabbing stuff that you thought you should grab um, or you were grabbing something so that you might be successful. But they, my guess is that they weren't things that were grabbing you emotionally. Oh, they absolutely weren't. Yeah. And it's the act of creating them was almost torture. It was like going back to work in a job that I just really detested. Yeah. yeah. Bob, what brought you into this line of work 40 years ago? Would you mind sharing a little bit of your story, your backstory? Oh, I'd love to. Uh, yeah. Here's, here's what happened. The very first moment I realized that there was something um, different about me. Now, listen, I don't really think I'm different than anybody else. The, the whole point of what we're doing here is for me to say, we're all the same. We're all creative. But uh, I was in third grade and uh, our music teacher, Miss Nagel, came into the room and she, and she was a very large woman. And she sat on this tiny musical stool with her back to us, of course, which was comical. And she said, students, open your music to page 14. And it was a new song. In my mind, I can still see the picture on page 14, little thin little picture at the top of the page. Uh, it looked like an Amish fellow walking across a late summer meadow. There were storm clouds in the background, a little splash of blue river in the foreground. And she began pounding out the, the, the notes, the chords to this new song. And we began to sing. Now, Kim, you can hardly imagine how badly this must have sounded if, if you had been listening to 33 kids singing a song they really don't know and Miss Nagel just pounding on this out of tune piano. But we sang the song, Shenandoah. Oh, Shenandoah, I long to see you gone away, you rolling river. I'd never uh, heard the song. Yeah. I have to confess, I have a 14-year-old who's been in choir for the last four years. Yeah, yeah. I hope he doesn't listen to this episode. Sorry. <laughs> but even when they're sixth graders and they've been rehearsing it for six months, sometimes it can still sound that same way. Oh, yes. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. I can't imagine how bad it was. But here's the deal. I'd never heard this song before. And I sang about half of the song. Maybe we were starting into the second verse. And I started to sob. And this is the kind of thing where a teacher might look at this and go, oh, there must be something wrong going on, badly going on at home, or there's, this boy has troubles or something. I, but I, I was just crying. And my friends all looked at me like, what's the matter with you? Are you sick or something? And my, my teacher came down the aisle, and she asked me what's wrong. But, but how does an eight-year-old explain being overcome by the beauty of art? 
And that is exactly what happened to me. Um, and from that moment on, it was that song became special. But from that moment on, it was like, I want to recreate this. I want to experience this again. And I began writing songs then uh, as a young high schooler. I began singing, uh, um, playing guitar. I went to college, played in coffee houses. I began telling stories in between my songs and people chuckled at the stories. And then within a year, people were laughing actually hard at the stories. I got out of uh, college and I was uh, performing whenever I could, anywhere I could. My guitar didn't show up on, off a plane one day. And I stood before a bunch of people and just devastated because I was being paid what, I don't know, maybe back then it would have been four or $500, which would have been a huge amount of money. And um, I had no guitar. And I thought, well, I don't want to go home without a check. So I just began telling stories. And I sing a few songs a cappella, but I began telling, just stringing my stories together. And people laughed even harder. And I realized, oh, my goodness, I, I don't even need to use my music. I could, I could just do this just, just telling stories and, and doing comedy. And that led to my doing more of that. I, I studied, went on and studied mime. Again, I'm in my early 20s now in theater. Uh, so I was learning about physical uh, comedy and how to use my body in, in, in my communication. Um, and that led to years of doing uh, early on school assembly programs. I probably did three or 4,000 of those in the first 10 years of my career. I, I shouldn't say probably, I know I did. And then that led to uh, people saying, uh, could you come and do something for my company? And that led to banquet work. And uh, that led to my sitting down with three of my buddies 25 years ago, and one of them said, you know, we should write a, we should write a play. They were both comics, my friends. And uh, I said, well, we'll never write it if, if, if we don't book it first because we're all so busy. And he said, well, I could probably book it. And he came back the next day and he said, hey, we're booked 30 days from now. We had no play. We, went, we, we hadn't written a word. And so we took in one month, we wrote a play, performed it one night. There was a director there who said, would you like to bring this to our theater uh, in downtown Minneapolis? Uh, and create a full a two or a full two act play with this, and we said, well, if we can wait one year because we're all we, we don't have any time uh, this year, but if we can wait a year, we'll do it next year for you, which we did, and that play ended up uh, eventually having six or seven casts in it, um, and went all around the world. It went to the West End of London, and we were two years in Dublin, Ireland. It ran for. 13 years without stopping here in town of Minneapolis, where I live. It ran for 11 years in San Diego without stopping, seven shows a week with another cast, and um, became this, uh, really became sort of a theater phenomenon. Uh, I did it for 10 solid years, and then I went back to uh, solo performing. Uh, and that led me uh, to figuring out, well, how shall I pass the baton on to people coming along? I'm 65 now, and uh, it's a good time to do that. So. Uh, and that led to my, my course, Mastering the Craft of Creativity, of which I sort of outlined some of it for you here today. I have an idea for another solo show for you. And what is that? Something with a baton. <laughs> yes, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I don't know. Pass, passing the baton. That's not a bad idea for a solo the baton. show. I mean, yeah. I, I, can just, it, I can just see you right now, Bob. Spinning the baton up on the stage, you know, just... Well, that would be some shtick, wouldn't it? It would. Yeah. <laughs> when you were under the, the pressure, and I know you had given yourself a year, how did that impact? I mean, I know you said that the show went on how many years? I mean, over a decade or two? 
Oh, no. It, it, well, we, we started in the spring of 96. We began in the theater in Minneapolis, and it ran there for 13 years before it closed down. And it's still running uh, to this day. Not not It's not open right at the moment, but it still runs seasonally. And and uh, it's there are negotiations actually going on today with theaters about, about opening up uh, in different cities. So, yeah, it's been an amazing thing. So that's that's so absolutely amazing. And I love how your co-writer, is that how you would say it? Co-writer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, co-author. Yeah. Co-author went out and sold it or yeah. it even before you went. Yeah. Uh, by by the way, that, that, that show is called Triple Espresso, a highly caffeinated comedy. And it's been in, well, it's been in over 60 cities in the U.S. So maybe some of your listeners will, will have seen it. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. Listeners, in case I forgot to mention, everything that we talk about, including a transcription and the show notes, you'll be able to find on my website at thekimsutton.com forward slash pp136. I mentioned to you before we started recording, and I've mentioned to listeners before that I'm writing my book, Chronic Idea Disorder. And I see a great parallel here that I've started writing, and I was so concerned about reaching out to anybody before it was finished until a great mentor of mine said, no, you, you really need to get a literary agent. You know, you need to find a publisher. But mm-hmm. I was really concerned about doing that before it was finished. But I, I did. I went out and I looked for a literary agent and found one. And they are actually helping me keep accountable for my own creativity now and keeping me on task for actually getting this book done. Listeners, you know I've been talking about this book for months now, and it will come out eventually, but I love that you gave yourself that type of push. Oh, yes. And and an editor is really a transformer, uh, really a uh, collaborator with the writer, Um to one degree or the other, but I, I think that editing is a is a wonderful form of, of creative transformation. Uh, it a, a book can't happen without a good a good editor. Um, so, yeah. Bob, can you share more about mastering the craft of creativity with us? I would I would love to do that. Um, the course is uh, online. It's a six module course. There are about 15 hours of video. Uh, There are interviews with creatives from one of the top drummers in the country, a a top maestro uh, in the U.S., um, cooks, uh, dancers, um, theater directors, a whole. There are probably, I think there are 19 interviews in there with various creative people who all, by the way, when I talk to them about the process of grabbing and interrogating and transforming to a person. They went, oh, my goodness, I wish I'd known about this earlier. I never thought of it that way before. Uh, and I was a bit I was a bit tenuous about sharing it that they might say, oh, no, that's not the way it works. But to a person, they were excited to realize that's what they had been doing. And I'm convinced that's what that's what creatives do. They grab and they interrogate and they transform. The course really is and it's filled with exercises to help creative people, whatever your medium is, that's not the important thing, whether you're a painter or a writer or a dancer. Whatever your medium is, it helps people to become alive emotionally. Um, 
quick story. When our show Triple Espresso was in Dublin, Ireland, I walked by a, on the way home from the theater every night, I walked by an art store and the window was lit up beautifully. And there was a gorgeous box, a large box of pastel uh, paints in there, uh, chalk sticks. It's, it's not chalk, but um, they look like chalk sticks. Beautiful box. And something grabbed me about that. And I thought, I want to try that. And I bought a small box and began experimenting. I painted for about five years, really enjoyed it. And what I discovered was that the process of painting awakened me visually. I began to see the world in ways I had never even noticed before. The world hadn't changed, but the way I saw it had. For example, I discovered that shadows are rarely gray. Clouds are rarely just white. Chrome is never silver, unless it's reflecting silver. Chrome reflects whatever is in it. So if chrome is by some on a bumper, a chrome bumper is parked underneath a tree, it's reflecting those green trees in that blue sky and your red jacket as you stand looking at this chrome bumper. That's what makes it look like chrome, not silver. And I had never noticed this, this before. And the process, the discipline of painting awakened me visually. The practice of grabbing and interrogating and transforming, in other words, the practice of mastering this, the craft of creativity, it awakens you emotionally because we have all numbed down from the time we were young children. Uh, emotional thoughts are hitting us all the time, but we're not feeling them. We're not hearing them. We're not seeing them until we begin practicing the process of grabbing and interrogating what we grab and transforming. That's when we begin to awaken up. And by the way, this is a habit. And this is a this is something that the course really helps with. It helps us to create a habit of creativity. Habits take, and we've I've heard this my whole life, habits take about three weeks to to create. And the reason is neuroscience has proven this now, that it takes three weeks to create a new neural pathway in your brain. It's not a strong one and it will fall apart. But if you, unless you repeat this process two or three more cycles, so we're looking at two or three months, after two or three months of practicing anything intently for four to 15 minutes a day, after two or three months, it is a solid new neural pathway, which is what we call a habit. Think about this, Kim. And we don't even know these habits exist, but we are all creatures of habit. When you wake up in the morning, when you take a shower and you're drying yourself off, it is like choreography. You do it exactly the same every single day. When you put on your shoes in the morning, you put on either the right one or the left one, but you put that same one on first every day. And try this. Try to put the other one on tomorrow if you can. If you think about it. You probably won't even think about it because it's such a habit. But if you can think about it, instead of putting your left one on, which is the one you always put on, say, try to put your right one on. It, it, you'll feel like you're throwing your whole day off. We're creatures of habit. They are Habits are wonderful things if they're good habits. They're wonderful things because they're so dependable and so helpful to us. We don't have to think about them. They just happen. And mastering the craft of creativity through the exercises that I've devised, they help people to create a creative, creative habit. So it's not difficult to be creative. It's just we're not even thinking about it most of the time, but it's happening. We're grabbing without even thinking about it. We're interrogating all the time. We're transforming all the time. And we don't even hardly think about it. Well, we do when we get to the transformation process. We're really thinking about it then because we're 
we're creating something. But that's what that's what Mastering the Craft of Creativity, the online course does. I'm really excited about it. It's been so rewarding for me to hear students say this was a life changer for me. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. You've got me thinking right now about habits and especially, I mean, I'm not going to get inappropriate here, but yesterday in the shower, somebody had moved, somebody had traded the spot of where my shampoo normally is with my face soap. And I hadn't realized how I always do it in the same order until I realized I was about to put face soap in my hair. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would love to have that uh, daily habit of creativity. Mm-hmm. Without it, it seems like our lives can get so, I don't think, I don't know if mundane is the right word. Oh, no, it is the right word. I think it gets, it, it, things become very mundane, something meaning something is missing in our lives if we're not finding some sort of creative expression because we are made to be that way. So life is mundane if we are being if we're not being what we were intended to be, if we're not living as we were intended to live, not doing what we were intended to do with our lives. And and creativity is such an important part of that. And many people have a sense of loss of boy, this life is not as fun as it should be. And I, I believe often it's because they have forgotten about their creativity. Even as adults, by the way, creativity feels like play. And you know this in, in the writing process, Kim. I'm sure you do. It's, of course, it's difficult, but it's, it's so fun when things are working and coming together. Uh, that's the play we used to experience when we were children. That's, I mean, that's the sensation of play we used to experience when, we're, when we were children. It's the same sensation we feel when we create today. I would love to see this in action with my cooking skills. I know that creativity can't make me, you know, a five-star chef. Bob, I only say that because, as I've already shared with listeners in past episodes, I can burn mac and cheese out of a box. Yes. But there are people, including my husband, who after I burnt those numerous boxes of mac and cheese, basically took over the kitchen. But I would love to be able to take creativity in the kitchen and have fun and create something edible. Well, if you if you're <laughs> if you're very interested in cooking, then you're probably familiar with the table with the show Chef's Table. Are you familiar with that? I am familiar with it. I haven't watched it. I had not heard of it, and and it's been around for a while. I think already there, are, as, as we're talking, there are four or five seasons. I hadn't heard about it till this summer. Um, the course had been out for easily a year at that point, and I turned on Chef's Table, and I could not believe how uh, tied in it was to everything that I've been teaching in my course. Um, very often, these Chef's Table, each episode is written about one of the 50 top chefs in the world, and how probably 80% of them end up going to Paris to learn how to to uh, Cook in the uh, in the pattern of the and with the, and the mastery of the French masters. They learn that process, and then they they become famous cooks, and they're unhappy. They're dissatisfied. They they are they're so miserable, and they're the best chefs in the world, and they're and making all this money, lots of income, and maybe even impact. But it's dissatisfying to them. And so to a person, 
on these shows, they end up saying, what is it that used to move me as a child? And they grab that and they interrogate it and very often end up moving back home or moving to a different place, starting their own restaurant, not as a French master now, uh, but using the skills they learned as a French master to do what is uniquely their own art. And uh, it's so exciting to see that. And as I've watched those, I went, well, look at there. I hadn't even thought, I don't, I think in the whole course, I don't think I mentioned cooking once, uh, but that is indeed uh, a truly creative and essential creative activity. That plays right back into what I was discussing earlier too, about how so many entrepreneurs are That's right. following the paths of others and are mm-hmm. completely uninspired and lose that grand allure and vision of what they saw when they first became an entrepreneur and were so excited to work for themselves. That's right. You you must watch these. You, <laughs> you'll just love them. Yeah, I'm in trouble tonight, just so you know. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be yeah. watching. Bob, this has been an amazing conversation with you. Where can listeners learn more about the course and also connect with you online? Uh, yes, uh, bobstromberg.com. Uh, Stromberg is spelled with a B-E-R-G at the end, bobstromberg.com. And I'm going to put together a, I'll put together a page just for your listeners. It will be bobstromberg.com forward slash positive. So that's an easy one to remember, bobstromberg.com forward slash positive. And on that page, I'll have, there's several fun resources. One is a creativity quiz entitled, Are You As Creative As Steve Martin? which I realize most of you, most of your listeners think they already know the answer to that question. Uh, but it's quite a revealing little uh, test. It takes, it takes literally one minute. It's three questions, multiple choice, and you can learn the answer to that question. It's, it's kind of fun. And then there's a 30-minute training uh, video there on creativity. It's really an introduction to uh, my class. And that's free, 30 minutes, and I packed it with content. So there's even if, if people just watch that, it would be really, really valuable. And then the course is there as well. They can check that out too. And I would love to come. Uh, if, if you have any, if anybody is uh, listening who uh, has a company, wants to have me come and talk about creativity, or if you're just looking for a great night of comedy, uh, I would be uh, thrilled to come to your place as well. Awesome. Listeners, again, all the links that we've talked about and all the resources will be on my website at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP136. Bob, again, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being here. Do you have a closing piece of inspiration or advice that you'd love to share with listeners? Yes. I uh, learned this important uh, lesson as a young man when I bought a fixer-upper, a very large Victorian fixer-upper in New England, and was overwhelmed with how can I ever get this place back the way it was? How can I ever restore this house and save it from falling down? And the advice that somebody gave me is just fix something every day. Make something better every day. And I began doing that, and it worked with, with that home. But I also realized that is a bit of advice that is uh, pretty great for our lives as well. If we were all to do that, the world would indeed be a better place. If we just made something better, just fix something every day. 
Hey there, this is Kim Sutton, host of the Positive Productivity Podcast. And I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it and were inspired, I would love to hear your feedback. Please take a moment or two and visit the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or on my website at thekimsutton.com to leave your rating or review. I'd also like to invite you to join the Positive Productivity Book Club and to find out more about my coaching packages by visiting thekimsutton.com. Until the next episode, I hope you have a positive and productive day.